Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Our goal is to help technical professionals accelerate their career progression, increase their job satisfaction, and bring you the advice we wish had been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Corty, at NetworkNerd underscore. We both work in the tech industry with backgrounds in IT operations and sales engineering. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. We also wanted to mention that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is also live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main page's show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, and topics. Hey there, listener. You have been caught in the middle of a trilogy. This is episode 230, and it's part two of a series of interviews with Chris Williams. He's a developer relations manager at HashiCorp. If you missed part one of our discussion with Chris in episode 229, it's worth a listen for sure. Chris was a gamer from the beginning, and he got a job in IT. He eventually progressed to enterprise architect. We talk about what an enterprise architect actually does, why you would want to be one, how that helped Chris avoid getting bored, and how being a T-shaped engineer might make you a better enterprise architect if that's something you're looking to do. Chris also shared some thoughts on startup life, since he worked for one for a time. This week in part two, we're going to start off with how Chris learned to interview, or some of the interview questions he likes to ask people. He'll tell us a little bit about how he got involved in V Brown Bag, what that actually is, and what keeps him doing it. We'll also hear Chris share his community involvement in more than one community group, interestingly enough. There's also a great story about an unexpected opportunity that ended up being the job he has today. Without giving any more away, let's get into it. Part two of our discussion with Chris Williams. You mentioned that at the at the startup, I believe, you did a lot of different things with interviewing people and HR things. How did you learn to interview people? What are the types of skills you needed to have to be able to do that effectively and sniff out good candidates? Well, there's a, there's a difference between good candidates and candidates willing to work at a startup. And <laughs> you have to kind of like suss out, are they going to work for peanuts at 80 hours or no? Because I mean, no, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being somewhat facetious. The interviewing process is very similar. For, for me, it's culture, fit, and personality first, and then how willing they are to learn something if they don't have the chops already. So I'll just start with a regular conversation. I'll ask them questions and I'll, and, and I don't even really have like an agenda. I don't have like a book of questions for, for, the, for the personality fit interviews. For the technical interviews, absolutely. I have like a list of things. Okay, you're in the situation, do this, walk me through this. How do you think that? That allows me to think into their how their depth of knowledge from a technological perspective. From a personality perspective, I just talk to them. I just figure out, you know, what what they do, what what's the what are the things that they like to do when they're not working. 
do they have a a quarter rack in their basement? If if so, do they have a blog? Are they passionate about the thing that we are trying to work with together? Do we have common interests? And I don't like I don't pick somebody that is a, a carbon copy of Chris Williams. I pick somebody that is going to be the opposite of Chris Williams. Somebody that's somebody that has not the same hobbies and not the same outside of work interests, but still has the same technological passions and love for the thing that we're going to be working on. And then when I go into the technology interview, I do this thing called be the packet. And I say, okay, you are on your laptop and you go, you open up your browser and you go to google.com. When you click go, walk me through as eye-wateringly detailed as possible what happens next. And, and, then I, and then I just let them go. I bet you get some cool answers. If they start talking about the, the electron jumps from the SSD to the bus, and then, the, and then it goes into the back of the thing, and then, then it goes to the DNS server, and then the DNS server routes back a response, and then you know, the browser then resolves to this, and then the server on the other side, you know, how, however, however deep they want to go, that lets me see from a, from a laptop, from a server, from an API, from an application, from, from, the, from the network of the cloud in between, how good they are at the thing. Is, do they talk about API calls? Do they talk about network protocols? Do they talk about all things? Do they talk about their subnet stack? It's, a, you know, it's, it's an open-ended question, and it gets me into their head for what they do and don't know. For all you math students listening out there that wonder why I made you show your work so much, you just heard it. <laughs> you just heard the reason. Yep. Because you got to explain your thinking. So that's the technical part. That's the easy part. You're trying to understand how people think and at what abstraction level they think at. Correct. And it's always possible to ask them, tell me how that interacts with, and then you go one level below that or one level above that. Mm -hmm. Maybe not down to the electron path, but. But I mean, it, but it, it tells me what they know. I mean, if they get into the OSI model and they, they start talking about, you know, the application stack and how it walks its way down or the actual API call itself from the browser to the back end, you get 200, it means this, you get 404, it means that. There's, there's any of number of ways that they can take that. And it's, it's brilliant no matter what the response is. Unless it's like, you know, I click it and I get Google. I don't know. Then, then it's not so good. That's really interesting. That How did you come to that conclusion that that's the way that you're going to interview? Was it a series of not as good ways to interview or oh, did you learn it from somewhere else? Oh, no, no. That, that's, that's what I came to. My, my entire career has been literally a series of failures. The only difference is I sometimes learn from my mistakes and then I get a little bit better. So my interview process, my, my method of communicating with folks, the way that I present on stage is all just a series of horrible crash and burn dumpster fires that have turned into less crash and burny dumpster fires over time. It's a great episode title, a series of crash and burn dumpster fires with Chris Williams. Yes. Sold. My career in a nutshell. So you're just aggregating all the lessons learned into how you ask the questions or in John's case, make the statements. Absolutely. Yeah. When I go into a new company and I introduce myself, I often describe myself as the battle-scarred, weary veteran that just sits in the corner and goes, <laughs> you don't want to do that. And I, and, I try, and I try to be funny, too. There's, there's, there's not very many funny EAs out there. They don't, they don't like to use humor as a part. They have to be very stern, and they get paid a lot of money, so they've got to be serious, and they have to act like they know what they're talking about. 
We, we all just Googled it on the way on the flight over to the company. Everybody knows that. It's not a big secret. Actually, it is a big secret. I probably shouldn't say that out loud. We can publish this. I think that must be the previous generation uh, prompt engineering skill is the who can Google it better, right? Oh, yeah, totally. My, my Google Foo used to be really good. It's not as, not as good anymore. Well, my Google Foo is still good for the things that, that I know to write the ask question, to ask the right questions for. Uh, this morning, I was working with one of the AWS heroes on, a, on an open source contribution, and my Google Foo wasn't as good, but it's experience. He, he said, no, you should do this with these numbers and, and add this part to it, and then, you're, then your Google response will be better. But you know, it's, mu- it's muscle memory for him. Me, I'm the, yeah. I'm the newbie when it comes to open source now. We'll have to formalize that. Formalize. Getting good at searching for the answer in your domain is actually a skill. Yes, absolutely. And Mike Fiedler, the guy that I was working with, would be another person that would be fantastic for your show. Mike Fiedler, AWS hero. Okay. I'm going to give you guys a list. That would be amazing. You're welcome. Target list, build outlines. Yeah. Bring it on. Sweet. We'll trade you some Nerd Journey stickers for your efforts. Oh, I appreciate that. I feel like a big value add that I've had at the past two places I've worked has been to create Chrome search engine shortcuts for the various systems that you have to end up searching for answers in. Uh And people go, oh, yeah, you can do that. And I'm like, yeah, but do you? (laughs) Right, right, (laughs) Because I do everywhere I go. (laughs) Here's my LinkedIn search shortcut. Here's my Google Drive search shortcut here's oh what intranet engine do you use great here's a shortcut for that how to search that one we've we've all the, th- the three of us have been around the block a number of times so so th- we learned through mistakes we learn by do- doing it not well initially and then polishing off the rough edges and getting faster and faster as we go i still suck at vim though oh, my vi skills yeah, are, non, non-existent. DD I, I deletes have, the line. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I used to be great. Really? It's 20 years out of date. I used to be great at searching. I used to be great at search and replace. Yeah. Vim-adventures.com if you ever want to spruce up your, your chops. Oh, okay. I don't know that that is a good idea for me. I, I feel like I should be investing quite a bit in uh, my VS code skills, actually. That is, that is probably one of my biggest things that I struggle with is what time, what precious finite time that I have in my day do I dedicate learning the things that I want to learn, the things that I should learn, and the things that I have to learn. And his struggle gets worse as you get older, right? It 100% does because there's there's a stack of books over here on everything everything there's disaster recovery python um all, all kinds of stuff that that I want to learn but but right now I've got to focus on getting my terraform certification cuz I work for hashicorp now and I got to I got to get good at those things I I split my time I spend the majority of my learning time learning the things I must learn and then I also spend some time like, you know, just casually reading stuff and catching up on things on vacation. I, I read like nerd books on vacation. My, my wife hates it, but it's actually the thing that relaxes me. That's what you do on vacation is you find something that's maybe not directly work related and work on yeah. it during vacation. Hey, John, do you remember the time that you 
podcasted with a guy that worked over this vacation and we launched the show. <laughs> Smelling but, some tension here. <laughs> Every time Nick goes on vacation, he says, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to work on show notes or, or editing. I'm like, wait, on vacation? <laughs> Cruise ship is a nice, quiet place to do it. I actually recorded a V brown bag from St. John and uh, the, the Virgin, the U S Virgin islands. And uh, my wife was not happy about that. And I was like, but it's fun. It was a great talk. I enjoyed it. That's what's, that's what's crazy about my current gig uh, as, as a DevRel for, for HashiCorp, they are literally paying me to do during the day for money what I was doing at night for free for 10 years. So I'll take Let's it. Let's dive into that a little bit. <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> How'd you get into V Brown Bag and what is it? So V Brown Bag is an IT video podcast. It is community driven. It is volunteer based. Uh, we don't make any money off of it. And it's for anybody in the IT space that wants to brush up on their presentation skills, show off a cool technology that they're passionate about, or talk about a certification that they're trying to pass or study. It originally started about 15 years ago. Uh, it was founded by Cody and Alistair and John and Ahmad. And I was using it to pass my VCPs, my VMware certified professionals back in the day. I didn't know that it was just a slapdash bunch of community guys just trying to figure things out until I met them at VMworld, I want to say seven or eight or maybe nine years ago now at this point. And I said, hey, I love your guys' stuff. Is there anything that I can do to help you guys out? And that was the death knell of my evenings because Alistair said, come here, young Padawan. He's got a New Zealand accent. He didn't say that. And I've, I've been helping out contributing, hosting, presenting, and, and, and creating new content for it ever since. When you volunteered to help them, were you, did you have any paralyzing fears of doing recorded video, speaking oh, yeah. to an audience? Is that something you had to get past? I am a weirdo. If I find something that I don't like doing, something that makes me feel uncomfortable or something that terrifies me, I then lean into it and do it until I break my brain and I get over it. So I did not want to do any public speaking. I did not want to podcast. I did not want to do any of those things. And then when Al said, hey, come on and be a presenter, do, do some hosting duties, do this, do that. I was like, this terrifies me. I'm in. So yeah, no, we've, we've got 2,200 videos under our belt. Now we go to the tech talks and the conferences. We've got 14,000 subscribers, like 17 million view minutes last year, but it's, it's just a, it's community guys that get together and encourage other folks to come on and talk about fun stuff. I love it. I love giving back like this. I've found it to be super powerful and helpful in my career. I've been a consumer, not a contributor in my life. Same. Well, honestly, that's how I got the gig at HashiCorp. Melissa, who is my boss, used to be a host on V Brown Bag. And I ran into her at reInvent this last year. And I was walking across the expo hall floor to do some hero interviews for V Brown Bag. And she said, Hey, Chris, um, are you looking for a job? I wasn't not looking for a job. I, I always like, you know, listen and try to figure out, you know, what's, what's going to be the next step. I, I had no intention of leaving Worldwide when I, when I first started talking to her. And uh, she said, I just want you to come on and do what you've been doing at night with V Brown Bag and with the AWS Pug and with your blog and with the Hero program, do it for us during the day. And so I, I talked to my wife about it and she said, you mean that you would stop doing all of the night stuff 
and just do this during the day. And uh, then, then, then she called Melissa and told, no, I'm kidding. So, so we, we had some conversations and, and then I, then I flipped over and, and now I'm, I'm doing it and it's, it's weird. I, I have to pinch myself every morning because I keep thinking, I, I have a hard time stopping at the end of the day because I enjoy it. So Kim has to drag me away from the, she still has to drag me away from the computer. But, but now it's a lot easier because I don't have to like crank out that V Brown bag. I don't have to go into Adobe. I don't have to like set up the next uh, talk or speaker for, for the pug. That's really cool. I mean, talk about a dream job. It really is for me. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not, and it's not everybody's cup of tea. A lot of people that I've talked to are like, I cannot believe you do what you do. Um, but for me, it, it was what I was doing as my hobby. So I'm now doing my hobby as my day job. It's crazy. It doesn't mean that it has to be your dream job all the time or forever. It's just really nice to get paid to do something like that. And yeah. building up those skills has led you to this point. And that's really, really cool. And it's not like all rainbows and butterflies. Yeah. I was, I was trying to think of a, a non cuss wordy <laughs> way of saying that. it's not all a bag of funions. It's not all a bag of funions. There's, there's, um, as, as you guys might've heard in the news, you know, some, some recent unfortunate things that happened there. And when you're doing it for fun and not getting paid for it, you don't care and you don't have to, eh, whatever, publish it. Now, now that I'm actually being paired, it's like, it's like when you are, you love cooking, you cook for your friends, you cook for your family, you, you make these large meals and they're like, Oh, Chris, you're amazing at cooking. You should go run, open a restaurant. And they're like, that's a great idea. I'm gonna go open a restaurant. And then all of a sudden I opened a restaurant. Now I have to cook. So I'm not there. I'm, I'm still enjoying it. But, but in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, am I going to burn the love of this out of it of me? Did that make sense? Oh, yeah, because I was going to ask that exact question. When the hobby becomes the job, is it still fun? So far, yes. And you're still doing a double dose, really, right? You're still doing the V Brown Bag stuff that you've been doing, yeah? Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And all this stuff during the day. So I just kind of wondered... Is more of the same a feeling that, okay, that's too much of the same thing? Uh, no, because now instead of, so I would record a V Brown bag on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And then on Thursday night or Friday night or Saturday and during the week, I would then process the video, trim it down, get it posted and all that stuff. Now I do it Thursday morning. And then, and then I have Thursday night and Friday night and my weekend's free. Um, and same with the pug. I, I don't have to spend my evenings and weekends working with the other co-organizers to figure out speakers and venues and, and budgets and all that stuff. I just do it during the day. Define pug force. It's not a type of bulldog, right? The AWS Portsmouth user group. There we go. Whose logo is an adorable little pug. Portsmouth user group pug. Yeah. So, so I, I do the pug stuff and the V Brown bag stuff during, during the, the week. They love all of the hero stuff that I do. Uh, so it's, it's all, it's not weekend stuff anymore. It's, it's daytime stuff. That's cool. And then I'm assuming that they want some of that stuff for HashiCorp as well. Oh yeah. So right now I've got two series going. I've got a Python series on V Brown bag and I've got an infrastructure as code series on V Brown bag for the infrastructure as code series. We're doing things like Terraform and Pulumi and Spacelift and Vault and, you know, all the Hashi products and, I've obviously got access to all of the best HashiCorp 
doers on the planet now with the with the HashiCorp ambassador program and the AWS heroes and the AWS community builders who also love HashiCorp and Terraform. It's a it's a synergistic net net every all boats rise with the tide kind of thing. For for people out there who are looking to raise their game in some way, developing the expertise as you talked about earlier in a specific area, but being in the advocacy group as a result of that expertise allows mm-hmm. you to network and meet all kinds of other people who are interested in that technology, make new connections, which in your case led to a different job, right? So it could right. be, it could take you in all sorts of areas and make you better using that technology and learning about others. I would say that my personal brand and my value as an employee skyrocketed dramatically at, at very specific points in my career. The first time was when I got my VMware vExpert. The second time was when I got my AWS Hero. And the third time was when Chris and Don Harney asked me to come over and help them out with the, the VTUG, the Virtualization Technology User Group. When I, when I got embedded with Chris and Don at the VTUG, I then learned about the power of community. So I, we started the AWS Pug. We started the, the, the Boston User Group. All of, all of that started because being, being able to run into people locally and meet up with new folks that you wouldn't run into because you know, you're working your one job and you're meeting the same people over and over again every day. When you go out into the community, when you go to a meetup and you start seeing all these different people, you start seeing all these possibilities and they start talking to you about their problems and challenges. And if you share and give and, and give people ideas, then it comes back tenfold. I've definitely felt that exact same force, right? You put out something good in the world and it just starts coming back as an avalanche towards you 100 percent. i mean a good avalanche you're right <laughs> a karma avalanche of happiness not right bad, bad right. stuff. what would you tell someone chris who's never been involved in a technical community that they should be willing to do if they join one that they should be willing to do show up, show up and have a beer with me. Uh, you don't, you don't, oh, you actually don't even have to have a beer. Just have a, have a glass of water if you want to. There is no expectation on community. If you want to go to meetup.com and see, you know, people locally around you that are, have the same interests as you. I'm, I'm a, a member of the, the Python gaming group for Southern New Hampshire and the AWS Pug, of course, and, and a couple of other groups. And, and some of them, I'm just a fly on the wall. I, I don't want to give anything of myself more than I'm already doing for my own user groups. So, so I just go there to just help be a member of the community, just, just my, just by being present and helping, you know, be a, by being a, a, a member of the audience that applauds when the guy finishes the presentation, that's, that's enough. You don't, you don't have to do anything. I just happen to do too much. I like the way you put that. There's no expectation that you have to give to it. You can receive yeah. from it. And probably at some point you're going to want to give back, but it's not a requirement. Absolutely. I always encourage my, my attendees to talk about a topic if they want to speak. If they, I, would, I would love it if all of my speakers were just members of my community that just all came up and just got up on stage and, and did things. But I know that not everybody's like me. There's, there's a lot of folks that are introverts or they have a paralyzing fear of speaking like I used to. And... And that's fine. That's that's perfectly fine if they just want to come in and learn how to pass the AWS Solutions Architect Associate exam, and then and then go pass it. I'm I'm blissfully happy happy for them. 
there is definitely value in being part of the enthusiastic audience. Oh yeah. Because you're, you're giving energy to the speakers and validation to them as they might be trying to pick up that presentation skill and you're kind of giving them that positive feedback and, and helping them along that journey. I am, I am the friendliest audience because I know what, you know, that first, I still remember that first time for me. And so I'm, I'm in the front row and I'm nodding and, and, and smiling and waiting and waiting for them to, you know, continue, even if they're bombing, even if it's terrible, uh, you know, you've, you've got, <laughs> you've got to, you know, you got to be there. It's, 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 if it's their first time, then I will gladly give them feedback and tell them, you know, where they can like shape the story better or something like that. And, and no, and saying bombing doesn't sound good. Nobody ever really bombs. I mean, just, just by getting up there, you're, you're showing 10 X more fortitude than the people in the audience that are never going to get up there. So I, I applaud everybody that goes up there. And we don't always think about the fact that when we stand up and give a talk like that, that there are people in the audience who truly want to see you do well because they're looking to learn from you. As technologists, we have this fear. I'm not going to be able to answer all the questions that people ask me. And maybe as a result, I shouldn't do this. Yes. A lot of people will over-prepare and overthink it because they think that somebody's going to play stump the chump on them or, or something like that. I've, I've never actually seen that happen. Actually, no, that's not true. I've seen it happen once and I, and I put a stop to it immediately. I was like, ah, that's, that's not a fair question. Stop it. They were like in the back Googling something. And I was like, shut up. Stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Everybody that's in the audience is there to encourage and help the speaker to you know, do the best job that they can. They're, they're there to learn something. And the, the presenter is there to share something. It's all about giving. That makes me want to start going back to podcasting meetups. Should. I'm, I'm going to sign up for one as soon as we get off this thing. I'm going to go see if, if there's anything that I can attend locally. I would love to get feedback from other folks that are doing it on how I can level up my game without putting, you know, a ton more effort and time into it. I'm not going to like, you know, go crazy and like get a, a subscription to motion array and like add all the things and have like swoopsings and swooshings and keyframing and all that stuff. But if there's some, if there's like small things that I can do to up, to level up, love to hear it. There are a lot of good forums on Reddit since we're talking about it. There's a podcasting subreddit where you, where they have a weekly promotion thread where you can promote yep. your show and then a weekly feedback thread. So you toss something in there and say, Hey, give me feedback. And then brilliant. As a result, you're supposed to give someone else feedback. Okay. You need to send me that link when we get off this. I'll send it to you gladly. Wunderbar. What I want to know, Chris, is with all your community involvement, and you probably realize this is coming, how do you decide how much is too much? And if you've overextended yourself in involvement, finding the right mix of, okay, I'm going to give back, but I have to save some for Chris Williams because I want to read these books or I want to learn this thing or, or I want to have a date with my wife, whatever. I, I struggle with that. I'll be honest with you. It, it, for, for me, it's tough because I love doing it so much that it's hard for me to pull back. My, my wife, Kim, she's actually a, a pretty good break for that. Like when, when, uh, she says that it's okay, you've, you spent enough time with that. Now spend more time with me than, than I, I just, you know, button up shop, click save, and then, and then, uh, go, go hang out. It's, it's not an addiction. It might be an addiction. I might, I might be addicted to this. I do, I do enjoy it very much. Is it hard to lay it down if you're if there's a problem on your mind and you 
get asked to take a break? It is for me. It it, it is. It absolutely. If, if I'm, I mean, we're engineers at heart. So if we're noodling on a problem, we're noodling on a problem. And like, I don't want, I don't want somebody to come here. Hey, honey, what do you want to? Do? No, leave me alone. I'm I'm working on this thing. Must fix. Must fix. Or or if I start learning something, I'm like, oh, this would be a great article. And so then I then I crack open my website and I start blogging about the thing that I'm learning about. And then I spend more time figuring out why my DNS is misconfigured. And then then I go down this whole other rabbit hole. Finding the time to you know have that work life balance is a lot easier for me now that I am actually doing this as my day job. So so I'm actually like spending a lot more time you know doing the self care things, going to the gym, meditating, getting seven hours of sleep a night, all all of the things that as humans we're supposed to be doing. I hear sleep is a good thing. Yeah, some some people say it. I don't know why. How has attendance at the user groups you've gone to been as a result of? getting back to the in-person meetups now that not that the pandemic is gone but more people seem to be willing to go out there and meet up it it is uh trickling out there um things are getting better i mean the the pandemic when the pandemic started it was great for virtual things so like like our attendance for v brown bag skyrocketed because everybody was like i just need human interaction i don't care what it is but then as it drug on, everybody was spending all day in Zoom meetings. And so they didn't want to go and do a V Brown bag at night after a, they didn't want another Zoom webinar after an entire day of Zoom meetings. So then it dropped, but then viewership of the recordings went up. Now that we're back to quasi normalish and AWS Pug is starting to do live events. We're actually doing hybrid events. So the folks that we got during the pandemic are all over the world. So I didn't want to lose them when we went back to in person. So now we stand up a little laptop in the corner, we point it at the presenter in the room, and then we also do the recordings and everything live in there and so that I can post it afterwards. Um, that is starting to come back more and more. Like the, the first live back event that we had, the first event that we had back live was a, was a big one. It was... Um, in January. And that was big because it was like a certification thing and, and certifications always do really well. Then after that, it kind of like petered out and it seems like it's picking up steam better now. That's a, that's a very poor way of saying that, but it seems like it's coming back. feels like it. Yeah. The in-person meetup groups I've gone to as of late seem to be heavily populated or at least more populated than I might've expected going in. Yes, exactly. So let's talk about the job at Hashi. You you mentioned that you spoke to your current boss. Sorry, but we're going to have to cut part two of the discussion right there. I like what Chris had to say about the culture and personality fit discussion in an interview. He says that he really gets to know the person. He looks for people different from him. But this should help us to understand oftentimes when you're going through a culture and personality fit interview, it's really just a discussion, a conversation between you and the person on the other side who wants to see if you're going to match or mesh with the culture at the company that you're applying for. 
they may let the conversation go wherever it goes and talk to you about whatever you want. They may have some specific questions, but keep it conversational. There's no pressure. They just want to learn about you as a person. Who are you? So make sure who you are as a person, more than just your technical skills, comes through if you're talking about culture and fit. What do you want in a culture at this organization? What do you like about what you've heard so far and what still needs to be asked? I like Chris's description of the story of running into someone he'd worked with before as part of the brown bag at an AWS conference. And this person asked Chris if he was looking for a job. He wasn't necessarily looking at the time, but he was open to having a conversation. What's interesting here, or what's important to point out, is that this was someone who knew the type of work Chris did for V Brownback. They were familiar with the work that he was doing, and they probably had been following him ever since they stopped being a part of V Brownback. So, in a way, Chris was following some of the advice we give, which is show your work and communicate the things that you're doing to others inside your company, outside your company, within your professional network. This person knew who Chris was, knew what he was about, knew the things that he was working on, and understood that he had some skills that could help this other company in a role they needed to fill. And it all started with that conversation and Chris being open-minded enough to just listen to what the person had to say. How many of those conversations would you take? How many times would you just listen to what someone has to say, even if you were perfectly happy doing what you're doing today? You never know what might come from it. We've talked to other people on the show about what happens when the hobby becomes the job. Chris gave us a little bit of insight into that this week, and he talks about the pressure to have good quality is certainly more once you get paid to do it, which I can completely understand. Chris also shared how he got involved in the brown bag in the first place, and it started as be, as a resource that was helpful to him. And when he realized it was some people just doing it on their own, he wanted to know how he could help. He had received value from this thing that people were doing, and he wanted to provide the same value he had received and possibly more to others. And so he volunteered part of his time. And that was just the beginning. Chris was a part of different types of advocacy groups. We've talked about some of those before. And he talks about being a member of multiple advocacy groups, again, usually centered around a specific technology, evangelizing that, learning more about it, being part of a group of experts on it, and then other technical communities that he has been a part of. I think our lesson here is it doesn't have to be just one. You can literally be involved in as many communities or as few communities as you want to network with other people and to learn from them. Chris tells us there's no expectation on community. So if you just show up and listen to what goes on at a meeting, even if you don't talk to anybody else really except say hello, you can still learn something and gain value from it. Certainly people may ask if you're interested in speaking, but you can say no. It's not the same kind of pressure as sitting through a timeshare presentation. Everybody who comes is looking to learn and generally looking to share ideas on how they can get better. I like the discussion of presentations and it just goes to show you that everybody needs practice 
And a user group, a community group, is a great place to practice presentations that are a lot lower pressure than at a conference, for example. And, you know, you may have never done one, but you need that experience. There are people who will sit there and cheer you on, just like Chris did at the user groups he was a part of and led and even started. He made sure that people were supported in gaining some of the experience that they lacked. And I think that's an important component of a good community to be a part of, one in which people support each other in personal and professional growth. That's really what it's about. Even if you are watching a presentation where someone is really trying and maybe it's not the best presentation you've ever heard, can you be there to encourage that person and let them know you admire the fact that they had the courage to stand up there and share something that they knew? something that they learned with everyone else? Would you be willing to give them some constructive feedback on how they can get better if that's what they want from you? Or would you be willing to stand up there and present with them if that would put them at ease? All those things are options to consider when thinking about presentations at community groups. And it's one thing to be a part of a community group, another thing to contribute to it as a presenter or speaker or helping others, and it's an entirely different thing to start and run a community group as Chris did. And he's done all those things, and you can tell that he absolutely loved it. And that's part of the reason for the title of this episode having to do with stewardship, being a steward of community, creating and maintaining those communities for others so that they can benefit just as he did. Wow. Great, great discussion for sure. So what is on tap for part three. Well, next week you're going to find out a little bit more about Chris's role at HashiCorp. Perhaps it might be more than meets the eye in the title, but that's all I'm going to say. So we'll see you then. Just a reminder, we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at NerdJourney. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at B Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore signing off. Adios. You need to unmute, John. John, you're still muted. You don't need to unmute. Is that what you're saying? I was just saying I hit control H. I don't, I don't need to click go. That's <laughs> mouse. Why Look would you, you use a mouse? Mouse. Mouse is for plebeians. Go ahead, John. You look like you want to ask something. No, no. I, I had a joke and I'm not going to say it. Active cultures. Yeah. Just, I was going to say <laughs> active cultures again. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I guess we'll just keep on going. The show must go on. The show must go on.